Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services and also information on our forthcoming events. For now though, let's get on with the show. This week, we're talking to Doug Brown, a born entrepreneur if there ever was one. Doug, who is based in the US, got involved in his family business at age just three and has gone on to create more than 35 companies. He has also spent 12 years in the US Army and was once the top-selling sales representative for a $2 billion company. He is currently CEO of Business Success Factors, helping businesses grow and accelerate their sales. He's also established the Sales Revenue Growth University, where he teaches others about the growth strategies he has learned over the years. Doug is both vastly experienced and, as you'll hear, passionate about sales and has some fascinating and unconventional thoughts on how to both create and extract the best from your sales team. Sales, to me, always remains a dark art that has so much to do with psychology, personality, and even a little science. And Doug goes some way to demystifying this during the course of our conversation. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Doug. Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Hi, Warren. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, it's great to have you on the podcast. I understand you're in sunny Florida at the moment while I'm in cold and gloomy UK. <laughs> well, yes, that is the case. And if it helps, uh, half my DNA comes from the UK. So <laughs> in spirit, I'm there. <laughs> in spirit, you're there. Well, I wish I was there in the sunshine. But uh, I often ask my guests whether they feel like they were destined to be a business owner, entrepreneur, business leader. But you started, it, as I understand it, working for the family business aged just three. So what was that business and what was that you were doing in the business at age three, Doug? Uh, well, it was my dad's business, my father's business. He um, he owned an electric motor machinery repair company. And um, at age three, I was sweeping floors. Uh, and I, I, I made the big, big dollars of 25 cents a, a week. <laughs> <Hi>. <laughs> But back then you could buy a lot of candy for that. So I was pretty popular on every Friday payday, you know, with my friends. Um, and yeah, it was it was great. I mean, I didn't realize, you know, the lessons that I was learning while I was doing that, but I was absorbing all of this as children do. Yeah. By the by the age of like five and a half, six years old, my father literally would push us out in front of clientele and have us write orders and um, talk with people and that it was a great education. I didn't realize it at the time. I was just, you know, making money. I mean, by the time I was five or six, I was making a dollar, you know. Hey, you wage. So, you know, I never struggled to buy, you know, birthday gifts or Christmas gifts because I was always at, I was at a dollar a week at that point. So that was pretty fun. <laughs> Perfect. And never desire to continue in the family business. You obviously went off and did your own thing. But, you know, yeah. what, how does that fit in your story? So my, the thing about my father is I learned a lot about business and a lot about life, but I also learned about, you know, how not to build a business because my dad built it on his back. And yeah. so, you know, he was in business 18 years. Uh, I was, I was 18 when he did this. Um, he went down one day, put the key in the door, turned the lock and said, I'm done. Wow. And, you know, just the business was built on his back. Yeah. And, um, you know, he had a heart attack prior to. So when I was 16 and a half years old, he had a heart attack. I ended up running the company for about uh, eight months or so. Yeah. Um, and quite frankly, I was, I was way out of my league at that point yeah. on doing Clearly. it. Yeah. But, you know, we made money. We survived it. Uh, he had a thriving business. Even 18 years later, he just 
he was just like, I can't take it anymore. And, and he just closed it up, sold the building. Um, you know, I went to him and I said, dad, you probably have at least a half million dollars in assets here with clientele. Hmm. He's like, I don't care. I just, I'm done. Time, so time to show I'm done. Yeah. Yep. It's, 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 it's interesting, isn't it? I know, you know, we're going to talk about sales as that's your specialism in a minute, but it's quite interesting to say, you know, you, you talk about building the business on his back, but a lot of business owners do that when they start their business, don't they? It, you know, they don't want it to be all about them, but they, they never break that cycle of it being kind of a job and you just carry the backpack of responsibility around with you and never get the freedom that business owners, entrepreneurs, leaders deserve, you know, any hints on tips from seeing that journey and perhaps the things that you've then gone on to do, which obviously we'll touch on, but you know, would you agree with that? And, and what would you do oh, to avoid it? I, I would totally agree with it. Um, and you know, I've done it myself, so I would totally agree with it. Cause you know, when you learn that process, your template of love or whatever growing up, it's like, well, I got to serve dad, right. Too. And, and yeah. so you, you, you build that. So, it, you know, the thing is, is when people are working for someone else, it's a very clear role. When they're working for themselves, they have everything. They are now the human resources department, the accounting department, you know, all of the things that they never even thought about come rolling on them. And a lot of times the biggest mistake is like, you know, in my dad's case, the big, biggest mistake was he was the smartest guy probably in the, in the United States for what he did. So mm -hmm. everybody had to come to him. And what he didn't do is train us in that same capacity. He tried. But we were we were younger and he didn't bring other people in who had, you know, electrical engineering degrees already or whatever and train them so he could actually extend out. And, and I think the big mistake is that, you know, we, we go into a business thinking, oh, I can do this better. I can be my own boss. I can be my own that. But the reality is, is sometimes we are a terrible boss of our own selves. And so therefore we end up, you know, having the worst boss that we've ever had, which is our own self in the business because we don't know how to handle it. So I, I always recommend to people, look, if you're going to go and do this, something like this, get educated on what it really means first. Mm -hmm. And then and then also understand, I think the other big mistake, Warren, that people make when they go into business for themselves, is they think they've got to keep all of the profit. They got to keep all of the money. So. You know, now when I go into a business and I start something new or the companies that we have, I, I look at it and I go, I'm going to get this percentage of it. And that's it, a small percentage. And I'm going to yeah. spend all that other money out on a regular basis. So the mind game is, OK, especially when they're like solo entrepreneurs, they want to keep everything. Right. It's yeah. like everything. And the problem is they limit themselves on investing in marketing, investing in uh, people, investing in assets in the business because they think they got to, you know, make, you know, like a consultant's got to make, you know, 70%, 75%. You know, when yeah. I look at a consulting business, I'm like, look, if we make 40%, we're doing great on the top but, end. But right? it's autonomous of you as a result. That's the difference, isn't it? It's yeah. about return versus life choice and autonomy. And we often talk about uh, Evolve, you know, businesses get into this point where of kind of the valley of despair, which is they've been carrying that business for so long they're in that place of darkness there. I love that phrase. They're a terrible boss of their own self. <laughs> and the only way you get out of that is reinvestment, rejuvenation, investment in self, investment in the business, build structure, build a leadership team, isn't it? Which is everything you're advocating and what you're saying, Doug. Without question. And even being successful in sales, when we become very successful in sales, we need sales partners in our own mini microcosm of sales. And that's yeah. another thing that people don't think about. Like it, let's say they're getting 20% of sales and you know, they're selling, but they're getting so busy that, you know, it's limiting their ability to sell. They need a sales assistant. They need somebody there to set appointments or do all the back end paperwork that needs to be generated or whatever it might be. They need to pull themselves out of that position. Mm. and 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 delegate that and pay people out of that 20% commission. So the reality is, let's say that somebody's, you know, doing 20% commission, they're making a, I don't know, half a million pounds or whatever selling, but they, they're starting to cap at that place and they want to go beyond that and make more money. Well, the reality is they got to get a team. They have to have some type of outsource team or in-house team or something to help them because otherwise what ends up happening is the salesperson ends up doing all of the routine things that got them stuck. Mm. Now, if they spend, 
let's say they invest a hundred thousand pounds into into uh, you know assets, and they're able now to sell three hundred thousand. Well, now they're up by two hundred thousand. So now they're making 700,000 versus 500,000. And then, so they reinvest in more team members. They reinvest in people who go out and find accounts and start dragging accounts. So now that, that you get a set or closer type process going on, it's, it's no different than in a business because sales really is a micro business. And if it were working within a company, we're, we're a micro entrepreneur within that business, utilizing the systems of that business. So we have some outsourced capabilities and some systems in place. But if we're doing it on our own, same thing. I mean, I built individual agencies and all kinds of things. This is the only way we could do it. Yeah, I was going to say, because you've started, been involved in, been involved, successfully grown over 35 companies. So what motivates you to be so prolific? Oh, insanity. You know, I was just, when I was growing up, because I had that entrepreneurial experience early on, mm. I knew I never really wanted to work for somebody. But I always had that pull between go to school, get good grades, go to college, you know, do all of that, you know, or as you would say in, in the UK, um, university, right? Yeah. Um, and so we, we, in, you know, it was always that duality, right? It was always that like, oh, gosh, you know, I have this driving need to, to be independent. But at the same time, I was taught safety and security was going the traditional route, yeah. which we all know today is, a, you know, is not true. Maybe back in the, the 60s or the 70s, it, it was. Yeah. But today, you know, not that you don't want to get educated, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee success any longer, yeah, you know. Definitely. Um, and so, yeah, what I was doing is I was trying to find out what made me happy because I really never did. And this is another thing for people that I would give them as, as something, you know, being older now, you know, at 59, I've learned a lot that I didn't know when I was 22. Um, does, you know, sit down, design what your life should be like first. Hmm. What is the quality of life that you want to lead? And then build your business around that. Because what I was doing, Warren, back then was I was like, oh, wow. I can make money, you know, I, I had a Christmas tree wholesaling or retailing company for, for example, right? Why? I, I liked Christmas trees because I grew up in the, in, the, in the north, right? So I'd walk through yeah. the Christmas tree farms and it was just so peaceful. I'm like, I can do this. I can make money. So bam, we go and do the Christmas tree thing. I had a, uh, you know, a digital marketing agency. I had a, uh, I would just try anything, right? And at one time I was running 11 companies at one time and I wasn't doing it efficiently at all with <laughs> most companies. Right. So, you know, my brother actually said to me one day, he said, great, you got all this education. What are you really doing with it? Right? <laughs> That's a reality check of a question. Isn't it? Yeah. 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 It made me think. And I was like, Oh, okay. So maybe I should try to figure out what my life is like. Yeah. And then a gentleman, his name is Ray Lowe. I was at a, a client brought me to uh, one of their events and Ray was a speaker there and I got talking with him. He's, he's much older than, than, than I am. And he said to me, he's like, what, what kind of quality of life do you want? And I'm like, Ray, what the hell is that? I really said that to him. Right? <laughs> what kind of question? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, he said, Doug, how do you want to wake up? What makes you happy every day? Right. Mm -hmm. And then what I heard was Steve jobs did a, um, a commencement speech for Stanford university. And I recommend anybody, if this resonates to listen to that. Uh, and he was saying, you know, when he would ask the question, when he wakes up every day, you know, if I was going to die today, would I be doing what I'm doing now? Hmm. Right. And he said, when there were too many days that came from that point, then he would make an adjustment and he would move off of something. <clears throat> yeah. So once I kind of got that concept, I was like, okay, I want my life to be X, Y, Z. I want this to be this. I want that to be that. I want to work, you know, 15 hours a week, I want to make a million dollars, right? All these things, you know, uh, come into the head on money. But really, you know, I want this type of relationship with people. I want this type of relationship with my children. I want this many type of friends. I want this type of home, whatever it might be. Once you get very clear on that, now it's easy. Because a lot of times we think we need to make way more money than we need to. Yeah, to actually live the quality of our lives. And then we, we just want. chase the money, don't we? And then we just chase the money and that doesn't bring happiness at all. But you need some money for security and to do some of those things. But you've got to get it relative and in perspective to absolutely what you're saying, Doug, about all those other things in life. And 
and the other things in life that are important. Right. And, and you know, a, a gentleman, his name is Richard Minervino. He runs a company called the Minervino Companies. At the time, I was a younger guy and <clears throat> I don't know, he liked me for whatever reason. I think I, rem he re I reminded of him when he was yeah. my age. And so he used to mentor me. And, and one day I remember sitting in his office, you know, uh, huge, you know, a nice size office, like 1800 square feet, which was a big office, right? A big office. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and he was worth $350 million at that point. And I said to him, I said, you know, why do you keep doing what you're doing? He goes, he goes, son, he used to call me son all the time. He goes, son, one day you're going to come into this office and you're going to find me deceased in this chair. He's like, He's like, I can retire. I got, I got all the money I need. You know, I've been living in the same house for the last 40 years, you know, just like Warren Buffett, so to speak. Yeah. Right. Um, and he goes, and he said to me, he goes, listen, you get to a place in life when you're making money and it, it's no longer about making money. He's like, you know, I have 300 employees out on those, you know, on this, uh, shift right out on the floor right now. Yeah. He's like, imagine how many lives are being changed because they're here. And he said, that's what it's all about. If you can change one person's life for the better. And he pointed to the wall and he had a, a had a, 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 like a poster plaque on the wall that said, if you could change some one person's life, then you're yeah. living a life of purpose, right? For the better, right? Yeah. And then, then he said these magic words to me, Warren. He goes, how many pairs of shoes can you wear at one time anyways? <laughs> <laughs> And I was thinking my, I, I, one of the businesses that I had owned was a, a ladies fashion shoe store. Yeah. Right. And I was like, women used to come in and buy like, I had one gal come in and buy seven to 10 pairs of shoes a week. Like crazy. Wow. Like she would spend a thousand dollars a week on shoes. And I was like, what? I didn't get it, but I was happy she was coming in. Right. That made her happy because they have all these shoes. But you know, his point to me was like, Listen, how many pairs of shoes do you actually need in life? If it's if it's 100, buy your 100. If it's 10, buy 10. Mm. But, you know, for him, it was, you know, a pair of sneakers and, you know, and two, two dress shoes, right? He's yeah. like, how many suits do you need, right? So it really made me think about what did I really want in life? Because, you know, you start making more money than you need, Warren, in sales. It's like it's addictive, mm. right? But then all of a sudden life can actually get out underneath you and you can burn out, you know, just like my dad did. That's exactly what happened. Right. Yeah. And I did the same thing. I was making a million dollars a year in, in a particular business. And I just was like, I got there one day and I was like, I cannot do this anymore. I hate this. Yeah. So I walked. All right. It's a moment of realization. Mm -hmm. Take some bravery to walk away though. Um, <laughs> it does. It does. If it's, if it's, it's at that point, but it's, it's like, any bad relationship, like if you're in a bad, uh, you know, relationship personally, right? Um, it, it gets to a point where, you know, if you're in a bad marriage, for example, are you going to keep living your life that way? Or, or is, is it going to stay, you know, uh, I think Rodney Dangerfield was a comedian and he said, you know, the, the, the two seconds of pleasure is not worth the two two days of nonsense that you have to go through for it. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I know that when you get something sexist. Yeah. <laughs> when you get something in your life that is so toxic, though, yeah, you've got to go and do something about it. And so many people don't do they? And again, I'd refer that back possibly to that valley of despair. But so with all of that experience and 12 years in the army, the US Army, as I understand it, Mm -hmm. um, you're now CEO of Business Success Factors and creator of the Sales Revenue Growth University. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about each of those ventures, Doug? Yeah. So what I was doing is um, in one of my businesses is I was supporting a lot of companies building sales teams for them, right? And um, I was building a lot of commission-only salespeople uh, for, for these companies. And so what I realized was as I was doing this for these companies, a lot of times CEOs or owners of the company would say, you know, my sales team are no good rotten rats. You know, they would, they would, they would come off like that. Right. And I'd be like, well, tell me what they're doing. They're like, they're, they're not following up. They're not reporting right. They're not giving accurate forecasts, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I'd say, well, what do you think the solution is? And they would say, I'm going to fire them all. <laughs> Spot again. <laughs> right. And so then over time, I would ask them this question because, you know, I've, I've run very large sales teams, 
Well, I'm not huge. I mean, 166 people, right? That was large to me. That's a, that's um, a large sales team. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know, we would run through the same thing. So then I would ask the I would ask the the owner or the CEO or whoever that was. I'd say, is it them or is it the company too? And they'd say, well, what do you mean? Then I'd start asking questions. You know, tell me what kind of reporting you're using on your CRM. And they'd say, well, we're doing this on spreadsheets. Right. And I'm like, you got nine salespeople and you're doing this on spreadsheets. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, OK, how are you tracking their follow up? Oh, well, we rely on them. And I'm like, so I'd ask a half dozen questions and I'd be like, you know, could it be you, too? Right? <laughs> that type of thing. <laughs> and then they would go, yeah, you know, there's a possibility. I never thought of it that way. Right. So what I did was I went on this mission because being a salesperson, I understand what it's like to be in a position where the company is, is saying, geez, we want more out of you. Like one time I was the top sales guy out of 315 people in, a, in an organization. And I remember they brought in Oracle, you know, their CRM yeah. system, right? And they're like, you've got to put in every single piece of information into this system, who you talk to, who you do this, who you do. And I'm going, this is going to cost me 25 grand in lost time, just putting stuff in the CRM system, right? So I'm like, heck with that, I'm going to hire an assistant. Right. So I did to put yeah. put it in. But a lot of people wouldn't do that. So what ends up happening is it slows down the sales growth. Then the company starts blaming the salespeople. Then they start prematurely putting them on you know, performance and then they start prematurely, you know, letting them go. Right. And the cost of turnover in a company on a salesperson is like you know, 150 percent. It's crazy. Right. Yeah. So um, it really hit me one time when I was. So I started consulting and helping companies do this. And then I helped this one company. They had an 80 two percent turnover rate of their employee base every year <gasps> and they were still in business <laughs> they were still in business they were doing 48 million dollars a year they were in a slide and i'm like this is crazy so i started digging into this and i found out it was the company yeah right and uh you know there's they had a sales manager managing the sales team who was who was not even present just collecting commission right and they were all over the world. They were they had a, they had an international company. So I went in there and I, you know, I had that and I started revamping their sales team and I started putting process in. I started optimizing things and I did that. And they grew from a 48 million to 110 million in two years. And their turnover rate dropped from 82% down to 15%. And so I was like, wow, this this probably works. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where business success factors started coming. I wanted to be the advocate for the salesperson. But I also want to be the advocate for the um, the uh, company as well to kind of bridge those two together. It's, it's kind of like, Warren, you probably have experience where marketing and sales are two separate divisions. Mm -hmm. It's the, it's a crazy thing. It's like, no, no, no. There's a client journey. Yeah. It starts with marketing and goes all the way through sales and through customer service. And we regenerate new sales from this process if we do it right. Yeah. So why is marketing hate sales and why is hate sales people, you know, detest marketing, right? Because they're at odds. It's like, you know, who was the, the division in Germany with the, when the wall was up, right? I mean, East, West, right? They loved each yeah. other, but they couldn't communicate. Yeah. So getting these people all, all in one play, uh, in one playbook, all of a sudden magical things happen and, you know, more customer referrals, more revenue, higher profit, um, things like that. So. I started the Sales Revenue Growth University for people who really wanted to understand how to conversationally sell without feeling like a sleazy salesperson, mm. yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. right? Because we don't have to be that type of person. I've never been that type of person. And, you know, I'm not being braggadocious. It's just true. I've always been number one, two. And one time I was three in a company, you know, and it drove me crazy because I, I had to be number <laughs> two at one. Um, but I always did it through, you know, respect and 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 dignity. And I always played win-win. I was the first to, if it wasn't the right thing, to say to the people, listen, I really want to sell to you. I really want to make the commission. I really want this. But I don't think this is the right fit for you. And here's the reasons why. Yeah. And, you know, so I would disengage. Um, so I teach people how to do this and how to add an extra you know, six figures plus to their bottom line and in sales. Um, and then I, I also help companies resolve those challenges as well within business success factors of, you know, 
selling more, but selling more with sanity and putting the you know the working processes in order for those companies. Brilliant, fantastic. And with that great background you get, I can see how you know bringing that to life for businesses and business owners and, and making it happen. It must be very rewarding, you know, for you, given at the point you are in your kind of career and and all of those things. But I suppose I would start then with. If somebody's listening to this podcast, thinking about building, you know, their sales team um, and refining their sales team and making it more successful, would you start with the company aspects first, or do you start with developing the sales team first? So it depends on the type of sales team that they're looking for. You know, uh, many people want a players, right? That's what they want on their sales team. You know, they. You know, they want that football player in Europe that's being paid $56 million a year or whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> because right? so they want those type of people, A players. So if they want A players, then my first question is, are you set up to be an A player company? Yeah. Right. And if the answer is no, then we, we work on that first. Because if they bring A players into the game and the A players are like, oh, my gosh, this is terrible, right? It wasn't what I expected. They'll just, they'll, they'll flush out. Yeah. And they'll go to another company, right? Um, now, I always find it's best if they have an existing sales team, though, to assess that sales team and assess the company at the same time. Yeah. And the, the reason for that is because a lot of times information that's in within an organization that's being conveyed over the years, it, it never ceases to amaze me, Warren. When I, when I go in and do this, you know, hey, we hired a professional. I come in, they tell me very similar or the exact same things they've been saying for six years to the to, you know, leadership or management or to each other. But when I come and bring the report of findings and say the exact same thing, they go, wow, that's brilliant. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, this was told to me by 17 people on staff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I know you've heard it. Right. Um, so but the, but the reality is that we want to benchmark the sales team. We want to benchmark who's the top performers, how they're doing it, right? Because what we want to do is we want to create a sales system that's duplicatable and replicatable. And so that we could bring people in who are A players and say, hey, here's our system. This works. Here's our conversion rate. And let the A players come in and actually improve that conversion rate because they will find ways to do that. And so yeah, now okay. you, you're, you're gaining stuff off that and adding it into the system. And that's how you improve your, your close rate, your conversion rate over time. Um, I did this with um, a man named Chet Holmes. He owned a, a training company called uh, uh, the Chet Holmes Method. And he had a, a number one sales selling book for, for years, uh, about six years going. And then Tony Robbins came in and bought, bought, uh, bought into the company. So I was, <clears throat> I was an independent 1099 for them as their president of training and sales. And I was actually able to take their conversion rate uh, on their trainings and improve that by uh, 62.5% in six months by just looking into this and tweaking and doing all of this stuff. Um, that's how I kind of got a, a notable name in the training industry, right? Because you do it oh, for okay. Tony Robbins. I mean, he's like the pinnacle. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, so then that's how I started doing for other companies as well in the training industry. And what about sales rewards then? I mean, what's your view on, because there's, there's a lot of kind of talk now, isn't there? Is, should salespeople be commission-based or should it just be salary-based and should their rewards be holistic to the company or is it on their individual performance? And there's quite a lot of chat and chat on social and all of that about that change in dynamic. So be interested to hear your views on remuneration. Commission only is always the best. Okay. Right. Commission only is always the best because it keeps everybody sharp. Right. So the, the thing is, it's really about hiring and the, the challenge with most people now, compensation plan is important, yeah. but the challenge with most people is that they're in such a rush to hire. They don't think through the whole process. Right. And unfortunately, when they're in such a rush to hire, they'll hire somebody, they'll flush out, hire another person, flush out, hire another person, flush out. And the fourth one, yay, it worked. Right. Because they learn something along the path. But but, you know, it's cost them whatever, two hundred thousand dollars to hire the fourth salesperson because they keep losing clients. They keep losing goodwill, whatever it is. 
So I always tell people, listen, if it takes us five months to find the right person instead of, you know, three or four months to find the wrong person, we're, you're in a better place. Yeah. So once you understand that and you understand the compensation side of it, what's going to drive the behavior of that individual that we need? Because if we if we give them too much of a base salary and the position really is a hunting position, but let's say that, I don't know, take the 80,000 pounds, they make that and that's their life, right? Um, and, you know, that's that's where they're they're good. They're comfortable. But our compensation plan is written for them to get 150,000, but they're not going any more than 85,000 a year. Yeah. Well, guess what? The, the compensation plan is actually causing the problem because that person is satisfied and saturated at 85,000. So a lot of times when I come in and, and, and talk to people like that, you go out and get that guy more debt or that gal more debt. Right? because now they you know, bring them up, buy a bigger car, buy a nicer, whatever, right? Get them a new house, have them have a new, a new child, whatever it might be, because that will generate the, okay, well, I can't stay at 85 anymore. I've got to go to, you know, 145 or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the reality is if they're on commission and the company margins are good and they're only going to make 85, but they're, you know, they're a good performer for the company. That's great. Right. So it really depends on, what the what's what's really the outcome like i have a i have a potential uh client right now um they're generating uh doing great business wise but the salespeople aren't following up on half the leads so they're like i'm gonna cut commission i'm like if you cut commission overnight you might lose your sales force Hmm. so the question is are they okay at that level and we need to bring more people in to cover the leads or are you generating too many leads and cut back on the lead spend because you know we're talking millions of dollars in lead spend at this point yeah but, right? but it's understanding the issue and the problem isn't it and and it's not just a sticky plaster fix it's it's yeah where the source of the problem is i suppose the only question i'd ask around that is that kind of and you see it occasionally you have that great salesperson that's so driven because they're on commission and they want to drive their own revenue which you know can be aligned which is good but you then get the situation where they start to sell the things the company hasn't got or the company can't deliver <laughs> or they start they they behave in their morality or their principles or their values disalign with those of the company because it becomes all about them now how do you face those challenges doug and how would you overcome those things so so i i was in my early days especially that guy who would sell things we didn't have yeah. <laughs> right so i would I, I call myself the innovator of new products <laughs> and services <laughs> and i remember uh i sold uh in that company of 315 that i was telling you about i sold a product set i knew we could do it technologically but yeah. it wasn't there yet. And I went out and sold it to five pretty high profile clients. Enterprise Rent-A-Car was one of the clients. <laughs> so um, I sold them to some big direct mail companies. I mean, I it just I went out and I said, like, I think we can do this, right? And I remember sitting in my office, my little cubicle, and I remember the sales engineer that had to now figure this out. I hear him screaming my name with expletives. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And he comes out and he goes, what the? <laughs> and I'm like, can we technologically do this? He goes, yes, we can, but we don't have a product set. I said, well, I already priced it and I sold it. Right. And so he's like, I'm telling your boss. And I'm like, go ahead. My boss comes. He goes, what are you doing? He goes all the way up to the CEO of the company. The CEO calls me. He goes, how did you figure this out? I said, well, you know, we can technologically, I think, do this, this, and this, and, and it saves the client money, and they're willing to sign five-year deals. He goes, okay, done. <laughs> they turned that, that, pro- that product set turned into tens of millions of dollars in sales for that company, right? But here's the thing. It's so disruptive to the organization. Mm, yeah. So I should have done it the, the correct way. I should have gone to the sales engineer and said, hey, this. The management walked it up the channel and said to the client, listen, I think we can do this. I need to get executive level approval to do this. Right. Yeah. So that one isn't as bad as the second one, you know, that you're talking about that lack of morality, especially when it's, you know, now starting to tarnish the the name of the company, mm. um, hurt the client in any capacity uh, or and or now start disrupting the sales team itself. 
So most of the time I've found it shows up in the sales team and with the clientele, right? So if, you, for example, if you have uh, somebody who has lack of morality or just has such a big ego, you know, and they're puffery and they're just pushing people around and treating them mm -hmm. unkindly and things like that, that person needs to be removed. Yeah. You know, you might not remove them out of the company, but you got to move them out of that channel that they're in and into something else, you know? Uh, I think there was a line in a movie, move them, move them, you know, somewhere else on the trough so that they can eat and let all the other barn animals, you know, be fine. When I do that, and that's a hard pill for a lot of owners to swallow when we come in and do this, because they're like, oh my gosh, this person's outselling my team three to one. They're going to quit. Hmm. They're not going to quit most of the time. Yeah. But the reality is when we remove them out, the other members of the team miraculously start performing. They flourish. Yeah. Because right. they're getting the support and all of those things that go with it. And yeah, their the morale and the kind of just motivation increases and all of those kind of things, isn't it? So yeah. And difference you've got obviously got experience in selling services and products. What yeah. do you think the difference is in selling services versus selling products in terms of approach? Well, when you're selling services, well, the, the approach is not any different, right? But the okay. actual sales conversation is slightly different. With a product, somebody physically usually can tangibly have something, right? Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to, I need an, a, you know, an extruder in my manufacturing facility, um, or I need, you know, something that is going to wash clothes or whatever it might be, right? In a, in a hospital or hospitality setting. So that part is, it's a known variable. Services is an intangible sale. So the, the challenge, they're both sold the same way. We have to create value around what the person who's buying, the buyer and the company wants, right? So where I see people now, I love selling services because they're very high margin most of the mm -hmm. time, right? So when you have high margin, this you can sell differently. Um, but, you know, if you're selling something that has a, you know, a 10% margin on it, you know, it's, it's, it's got to, you've got to convey the value. And what is value? Value is the perception of what the buyer actually wants, what the mm -hmm. buyer needs. And so a lot of people don't understand how to sell on value. And so therefore <clears throat> they're trying to sell on features or, you know, even benefits of the product. Right. But it comes down to two things, Warren. What's the professional and, and, and personal ROI, return on investment, that the buyer wants? And a lot of times people can figure out the professional ROI, like, you know, hey, this machine will be this much more efficient. Therefore, you'll reduce your cost and improve your efficiencies on the line by X, which translates mm -hmm. into this kind of money. <clears throat> but where people miss it all the time is the personal ROI. Because they don't think about people as people they, they, they're looking, oh, I'm selling to whatever level, right? The, the, the executive vice president of whatever, or I'm selling to the director of. And what they're not thinking is this person is a person first with a title. They're thinking title first and yep, yeah, they're a human being, right? Yeah. But all human beings have a personal return on investment there they're looking for. So that might be higher repute in the company right? Or higher repute out in the market. It might be uh, safety and security. It might be, you know, um, uh, holding on to employees because not just for the loss of revenue or loss of goodwill, but because by nature, they are a nurturing person and they want to hold on to those people and, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, help them evolve in their lives because that gives them great satisfaction. A lot of people don't sell to that personal ROI and that's where they're missing out a lot in value. So whether it's services or, or products, uh, it, it's, it's sold very much uh, in a similar way. Um, however, you know, a product is a tangible thing, mm. service is intangible. So what we have to do with the services, we have to make the intangible tangible so that they understand what the, what the value is that they're buying out of it. Okay. I love that piece around talking, you know, I'm not just understanding and selling to the company's ROI, but the personal ROI as well. And I suppose does that, I mean, is your approach to selling, I think the, there's an obvious answer to this, but it is a relationship-based approach, isn't it? It's build the relationship. Oh, yeah, Paul, because 
you know, it's just me as a person, right? That's the other thing about salespeople. You got to be yourself. Yeah. I, and, and now if you're a salesperson and you're not a nice person, change that. Yes. Yeah. Right? Or, or you're going to struggle. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, there's all kinds of, um, there was a really cool book I read one time. It's called uh, uh, Sales Dogs. And it was written by a man named Blair Singer. And he compared salespeople to breeds of dogs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I know on the surface people listen and they go, and that's not very nice. But no, the way he did it was really cool, right? Because there's there's different types of breeds of dogs. They act differently. And, you know, the the, the, the pit bull, you know, will be act differently than the poodle, you know. Um, and so it's really cool to read it because it's fascinating that when you start to think about the personalities of the different types of salesperson. The other thing that people should understand is there's different types of buyers. They could also be categorized in as, as a different breed of dog. Yeah. Now, the challenge is if we're a, a poodle type of, or, a, or a Labrador retriever type of seller where we're a big bonder, but you're going into somebody who's more like, uh, you know, a get it done, get it over with. I want the answer right now, kid. Yeah. Right. Then what we tend to do is we have we have two things that go on. Buyer's bias. And our selling preference, our behavioral you know, preference of sale. So when we try to use our same behavioral preference, like with a high, you know, if we ran what's called a disc test or some type of profile yep. test, if we had a high D or director, get to the point. But we're a humanistic and we want to just bond, bond, bond with that person, right? Because yep. that's how we relationship sell. You, you're, not, you're likely not to get the sale. You're act, probably going to aggravate that person. So we have to in our own behavioral patterns, understand that we must shift to their behavioral patterns so that we can bond with them, not lose our own identity, but bond with them. And then buyer's bias. If we are, let's say that we grew up in an environment, Warren, where, you know, everything was a negotiation. Yeah. I had, I actually had a client who had a salesperson who was just like this and I'm sitting at the table with them and they're selling and the buyer high D goes, yep, we'll do it. We'll take it done. Uh, have the paperwork to me, right? Oh my gosh, what do they do? They go back and try to renegotiate. (laughs) (laughs) I literally kicked this individual in the leg under the table. (laughs) Take the sale. (laughs) Because he he was going back and he was like, well, yeah, but let's talk about X, Y, Z and the clause of this, right? And I'm like, oh no. And then I could see in in the CEO's mind, you know, on the other side, that the face was starting to tighten. They were starting to pull back in their chair and body language. And so I literally kicked them under the table and I said, sir, thank you. We'll have that paperwork to you. <laughs> so when we got out in the hallway, I said, do you know what happened? He goes, no, what, why'd you kick me? And I, and I explained it to him. He goes, oh, that makes sense, right? Because it does make sense when yeah. we think about it. But when we're in real time, we don't, especially if we're not trained on how to do it. Definitely, definitely not. So, so as we start to kind of come to a conclusion in our conversation, I've got a few top five things kind of questions. So what are the top five things that you would look to see if you're hiring for a great salesperson? What are the five things you'd look for? Uh, I would look for will to sell, right? And these are all measurable by certain assessments. Yeah. Um, I would look for will to sell. Can they sell, especially today, consultative sales are the only way to sell in my if, from what I can see, you know, because the internet has flattened the world of information. Yeah. Right. So there's no longer the, I mean, the buyer can have more information about what they want to buy. I mean, you want to buy an automobile, just a few clicks of a mouse, boom, you'll know everything about that. Um, so will the sell, can they sell consultatively? Do they know how to build a relationship? Right. Um, uh, I would say, you know, do they have the, 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 the will to close, if you will. Do they have the closing skills? Mm. Because if they build a relationship the right way, the close is super easy. But, you know, the old saying, 50% of people never ask for the sale, right? Yeah. Now, I don't know if that's an exact statistic, but I've been in plenty of sales where they they don't, right? Um, I've been in sales where I'm ready to buy and they don't ask me. And I'm like, I have to close the sale because I really want the thing. <laughs> yeah, I want this thing, please. <laughs> And then, then I think the other thing that would be is, do they fit, are they the right fit profile for the organization in the client base? Those would be the top five that I would look at. Brilliant. Yeah. And another top five then. So top five, your top five personal tips for increasing sales in a business, perhaps the things that you don't get taught at university or business school. 
Wow, that one's a big one. Um, <laughs> I would I would say it this way: massive prospecting, massive prospecting, massive prospecting, massive prospecting, and massive prospecting. Those would be my top, my top <laughs> okay. right? And and the reason behind that is the the master prospector will always outsell the master closer. Okay, you know. Until I really got skilled in sales, I really wasn't that good of a salesperson, but I, I was good, but I wasn't great. I wasn't the great closer, but I would outsell everyone. Why? Well, at one point I had 62 incoming calls a day coming into my phone for sales conversations, yeah. right? So I was able to massively prospect. And, you know, so I would say prospecting and follow-up are the two biggest skills to have today. And, and the third one would be relationship building. Yeah. Um, the fourth one is, is and you, you can't, I can't specify this for people enough to say, listen, make sure that they have the desire. You know, the salesperson has to have the desire because, you know, a lot of times it's, it's, they don't, you know, they, they, and the, and the fifth one, if you're hiring somebody, um, don't believe the resume. Yeah. Right. Everybody embellishes upon their resume. They always do. It's it's a calling card to say, hey, pick me and let's have a conversation. Right. So, you know, part of the, uh, the when we do uh, teach people how to recruit, you know, we we actually teach them how to like beat up on the resume. Right. Like yeah. really get to the truth on the resume because, you know, instituted, you know, 25 salespeople and, you know, increased sales by, you know, 18 million dollars. Right. Better dig into that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really right. understand it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I was going to sort of wrap up there and ask you one final question, but I've, the fact that you were so emphatic about prospecting. Yeah. And obviously I think that's probably where a lot of businesses do fall down. So what does great prospecting look like? Doug? So it's multimodality. It is built into your daily schedule. And uh, you have really good follow-up around there. So I, I teach something I call, um, I learned it was called 20-20-20, way back in the days, right? 20 methods, one day of contacting someone, 20 methods, the second way of contacting someone, two different ways. Yeah. And then you got to follow up with 20 people. So it's called XXY, really. That's that's my name for it, right? Because <clears throat> you can plug in anything you want. Yeah. It could be cold calling 20, if that's what you still want to do. It could be networking 20, but you got to have 20 networking leads, right? To go after. And then you got to follow up with 20 people the next day. Okay. Right. And so it's just constant. If anybody follows this 2020 ratio, uh, you know, 2020, 20 ratio, it, what will happen is over time, you'll be doing two, two and 70 <laughs> on the back end. Right. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I teach people from today forward over the next year, we're going to have seven new methods on how to generate business. We're going to try seven new methods. Now, not all seven will work, right? But, oh, they'll work, but they won't work optimally. But what will end up happening is you'll have three to four that will actually work optimally. And so what ends up happening is people are like, oh my gosh, my sales have just gone up by, you know, 100% or 50% or whatever it is. And they're like, I don't know what happened. It's like, well, let's look at the numbers, <laughs> right? You've done this on the front end. And now we've worked that that would be the other thing is working on our, our own self. Yeah. Right. So conversationally, you've been able to close your percentage of close rates gone up, but you've been able to massively prospect on the front end on the right fit client. That's the other key in massively prospecting. You don't have to go out, you know, like people go, Oh, you gotta make 150 cold calls a day. It's almost humanly impossible. All right. To make 150 cold calls a day. And it's also dumb really from my perspective. Now, some people on the other end listening to this might go, no, what do you, you don't know what you're talking about. That's the way we've been doing it forever. I would rather have my salespeople making 15 calls a day that were to targeted clients and picking up nine appointments out of the 15 mm. than to have them call 150 and get five appointments. Yeah. Right? Because the reality is it's about quality but a lot of people, Warren, don't, when they're trying to massively prospect, they don't think about what the right fit client is. So they're just out there, you know, throwing stuff out there, trying to see if it works. But when we get very targeted about massive prospecting, I mean, it, it works. It's never not worked. There we are. 
Great way to start to wrap up the podcast. But I'm going to ask you one final question, which I'm intrigued about. I think I've probably got an insight from the course of our conversation, but uh, it is called the Evolve to Succeed podcast. So can I ask you, what is your personal definition, Doug, of success? Wow. Um, it's it's living the life on a daily basis that makes one happy. You know, it's it's not like goals are great, you know, achieving goals, getting all that stuff, driving fancy cars, whatever you want. That's great. Right. Um, but to my personal definition of success is having every day be as happy as it could possibly be and having as much discretionary time to do the things that I want to do. So, but you know, if you can live on $150,000 a year and you can be blissfully happy, that's, that's way better. I know people who make, you know, $6 million a year personal income and they're miserable people, right? So, and so it really is about, you know, going back and figuring out how do you want your life to be first? And then living into that every day and at the end of the day saying okay my ratio to happiness and non-happiness is what and if you can get up into the 90 percentile on happiness every single day it's a successful life yeah it's a successful and enjoyable life doug if people want to learn more about you and more about business success factors where can they go well, if they want to learn more about me, they can go to businesssuccessfactors.com and read about me there if they want to. If they want to contact me directly, my LinkedIn profile is Doug Brown one two three four, and uh, or send me an email or you know Doug at businesssuccessfactors.com or call me at six zero three five nine five zero three zero three in the states. Um, I, I can I plug my book, Warren? I, of I have course you can, Doug. Yeah. <laughs> so if they go to winwinsellingbook.com, I wrote a whole book called Win Win Selling: How to Unlock the Power of Profitability by Resolving Objections. And I wrote a book on specifically on objections, but it's really on the philosophy and the psychology of communication and how we don't crush objections. That is 1940s, you know, way of doing it. How we actually resolve objections and I give them, you know, formulas and 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 the the, the why behind how you do it uh, throughout the book. Um, and so I'm plugging my book. Please go out and get it if you like it. Please write a great review on it. Um, it you know, it's been doing quite well uh, in that regard. So I'm, I'm very pleased. Perfect. I'm going to go and read a copy myself. Brilliant, Doug. Thank you for being a great guest on the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Well, thank you for having me on here. You ask great questions, and I uh, I can't say that of everybody that I've done these with, but it's definitely <laughs> I'll take that <laughs> so. So, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to evolvemembers.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.